It's good to see you this morning. It's good to have a Bible between me and thee and to be able to see what God has for the man in the pulpit, but what God has for all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're so grateful that God has spoken to us in his word. He hasn't stuttered. He's very clear. And so we're going to look into uh, Romans 10, 18 to 21 this morning. Romans 10, 18 to 21. Just by way of a quick review, some of you were not able to be out last Sunday evening when I preached the verses that lead up to our passage for this morning. Those verses were Romans 10, 14 to 17. And by way of review, those verses taught us last Sunday night that the nation of Israel will be held responsible for her unbelief in Jesus Christ. And if you were there last Sunday night, you will remember, I hope, that the reason presented by those verses in Romans 10, that Israel will be held culpable, responsible for what they didn't do with Jesus Christ, is this. Just as there were Old Testament messengers that published good news to Israel concerning the end of their captivity in Babylon, so messengers of the New Testament times had been sent to Israel to announce the good news of salvation through Christ. That's what verses 14 and 17 say. Because there was good news published to Israel in the Old Testament by prophets Isaiah and others that you're going to get out of this Babylonian captivity, similarly, in the New Testament times of Jesus Christ, there were people sent to the Jewish nation to say there was hope of forgiveness in heaven through Christ. So Jewish people are responsible if they reject Christ back then and today. Additionally, in last Sunday night's sermon, we saw that there is a progression. God has willed that there would be a progression, and here it is. A preacher being sent, that's the first thing. A preacher being sent, then a preacher preaching, then a preacher being heard by those he preaches to, and then Christ being believed on by the preacher's audience. That's God's willed progression back then and today. A preacher being sent, a preacher preaching, a preacher being heard, and Christ being believed on. That's the progression. That's the norm. Now we come to our verses for this morning, which are Romans 10, 18 to 21. And these verses present two possible objections to Israel being to blame for not accepting Christ as Savior. Two possible things that people can say, wait a minute, hold the phone. Can Jews really be held responsible for rejecting Jesus? What about this objection and what about that objection? So what are the two objections in the text? Before I tell you, will you notice that human responsibility back then was not everybody's cup of tea? (laughs) And human responsibility today has gone the way of the dodo bird. I'm not responsible for what I did because of my father. I'm not responsible for what I did because of unemployment. Human responsibility back then and even still today is something that people don't want to shoulder. They don't want to accept. They don't want to embrace. They want to have a reason for the bad stuff they do that isn't them. Person's Today, make excuses for not believing God. I wonder if any of us are doing that this morning. Other people 
Maybe some here this morning, I don't know, God knows. Maybe, maybe some other people here this morning are making excuses why they won't take Christ as Savior, won't take the responsibility God puts in their lap to respond to the gospel and trust Christ alone for salvation or go to hell. Or maybe as believers, some of us might have excuses on why we don't actually trust and obey Jesus as if he's Lord of our redeemed lives. You know, human responsibility is in the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, and our blame-shifting, our excuses doesn't mitigate, work against, dilute human responsibility in the eyes of heaven, which are the only eyes that matter. I'll leave that with me in the pulpit and the Lord. I'll leave all of that with you and your Lord as well. Now, verses 18 to 21 of Romans 10. Follow with me as I read Romans 10, 18 to 21. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Surely they have never heard, have they? That's the objection. Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? That's a second uh, objection. At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. Notice with me that the Apostle Paul frames these two objections about Jewish responsibility when they reject Christ. He frames these two objections as if he himself were putting the objections forward. Of course, he wasn't, but he was identifying with his Jewish people. He was saying, I, I, Well, you notice he says, but I, twice he says, but I say, but I say. Paul only raised these objections, not because he himself had the objections. He raised the objections because the Spirit of God let him know that his readership that were Jewish had those objections. What are the objections? Objection one to Israel being to blame for rejecting Jesus. Here it is. They've never heard. They need more chances. That's verse 18. The second objection to Jews being responsible for rejecting Jesus Christ, the second objection to Israel being to blame for rejecting Jesus, they've not understood. The message is too complicated. That's verse 19. Objection one, they've never heard. They need more chances. Objection two, they've not understood. The message is too complicated. These are the two objections that need to be answered. And the text answers these objections. And notice how the text answers these two objections. It's with Scripture. God answers Jewish objections about being responsible for rejecting Jesus Christ. God answers those two objections with Scripture. Do we answer the objections of the skeptic, the agnostic, and the atheist with Scripture? Do we carry a Bible on our telephone? Do we have a Bible on our smartphone? If we're not, load one. Do we carry a pocket testament in our purse, sisters? Have we hidden God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him? Are we in a place positioned and ready to answer objections with scripture? 
That's how these objections are answered with Scripture. Of course, the Jewish readership of the book of Romans knew the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew them well. Verse 18 in Romans 10 quotes actually Psalm 19, verse 4, when it says, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So Paul's inspired point in that, quoting that verse of Scripture, is just as the heavens bear witness to the glory of God, so the gospel witnesses to Israel have declared salvation in Christ to the Jewish world. And so, yes, the Jews have heard. In fact, they've had multiple chances to hear the good news about Christ. How about you? Not your mother, not your brother, not your sister. How about you? Have you heard it, the good news about Jesus? What have you done with it? Have you heard about the cross and what Jesus did on it? What have you done about that blood that he shed? Friend, to delay response to that is to disobey. My mother always taught me, delayed obedience is disobedience, son. Delayed obedience is disobedience, son. So we move on to verse 19 in Romans 10, and it quotes Deuteronomy 32, 21. God is speaking when it's quoted, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. That's a quote of Deuteronomy 32, 21. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. The point here is this, the Gentiles, non-Jews, without a previous understanding of the true God through the Ten Commandments, through the sacrificial system that the Jews had, Gentiles who did not have those advantages to know anything about the true God have understood the same message about Christ when they heard it. Therefore, it's not too difficult a message. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not rocket science. The news that Jesus died for sins, paying for them, and has risen to show that he adequately paid for sins is not a secret code. Children can understand the message of the gospel that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. I was four and a half years old when I understood that message, and I'm no genius. Children can trust Christ as Savior. How many of you trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior before you were 12? Slip your hand up. Before you were 12. Look around. You trusted Jesus before you were 12. Look around. I see you up there. Praise the Lord. It's about 25%. By the way, when I said that delayed obedience is disobedience when it comes to the gospel, three of my friends died without being sick before they were 20 years old where I grew up. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Don't delay on receiving Christ as Savior when you get it all together, when you get older, when you get married, when you have your first child. Don't delay. You may not have tomorrow. Next, in verse 20 of Romans 10, it quotes Isaiah 65, 1. God again is speaking, and he says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. In other words, the point is Gentiles, non-Jews, who weren't looking for the true God, found him by 
by understanding the gospel message. So the gospel message is not too hard to understand. The good news, as I've said, is not rocket science. It's not quantum physics. It's not too hard to understand. It's profoundly simple, as a matter of fact. And so how about you? The gospel isn't too complicated for you to understand either, but it isn't understanding ultimately that God wants of you with respect to the gospel. What God wants of you with respect to the gospel is to transfer your faith to Christ alone. We've got a lot of people with head knowledge of the gospel who lack a transference of trust to Christ alone who won't make heaven. The difference is 18 inches between the mind and the heart. What God is looking for with those who come to hear the gospel, come to understand the gospel, what God is looking for is trust and faith transferred from oneself, one's church, one's good deeds over to Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross alone, plus nothing. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 emphasizes faith, not intellect as well. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you've never trusted Jesus alone for salvation, may this be the morning. I've been praying for this all week. Faith, though, is only as good as the object upon which it rests. If I go to the grocery store and buy cold cuts and they are tainted through age and and being in too high a temperature in storage, I can have faith in the cold cuts and have a very sick stomach of food poisoning. When I get in the SUV the church has graciously provided to my family, and I go down to the first red light, I am putting faith in the brakes on that SUV that they will stop me in time. If that meat is bad, I can have all the faith I want in that cold cup, but I'll still get sick. If those brakes are not properly working, I can have all the faith I want in those brakes, but if they're faulty brakes, I'm not stopping. Faith is only as good as the object upon which it rests, and I can tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is faultless. Jesus Christ is unchanging. Jesus Christ is predictable. Jesus Christ is the rock-solid surety of the universe. Trust him. Look back at chapter 9, verse 33. Just as is written, behold, I lay in Zion, Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling. That's Jesus Christ, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling for those who reject him and don't go it on their own. And Jesus Christ is a stone, a rock of offense to those who want to be smarter than the Bible. And... In contrast, he who believes in him, Christ, will not be disappointed. Jesus will not disappoint you for salvation. Jesus will not disappoint you for sanctification. Jesus will not disappoint you for glorification. He won't. Now back to verse 21 of chapter 10. 
But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. This verse 21 quotes Isaiah 65 too, and I'll say it again. All the day long, God is talking, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and to an obstinate people. That is the chosen people, the Jews. God says, all day long, constantly, undeterred, I haven't given up. I've reached out to you with salvation through my son, Jesus Christ, but you're a disobedient chosen people, and you're an obstinate obstinate chosen people. And so the point of this scripture is that the nation of Israel is stubbornly disobedient to God. Israel is contrary and hard-headed and unresponsive, and Israel is unteachable and set in her ways of thinking. Let me just say, I certainly hope that that is not true of me, that I'm stubbornly disobedient to God, that I'm contrary to him, that I'm hard-headed, that I'm unresponsive, that I'm unteachable, and that I'm set in my way of thinking. I hope that is not true of me, and I hope it is not true of any of you either. And so what is the common denominator for stubborn disobedience, for being contrary to God, for being hard-headed, for being unresponsive, for being unteachable, for being set in a way of thinking? What is the common denominator to those problems and sins? What's the common denominator? Pride. P-R-I-D-E. Do you know what's in the middle of pride? I. P. R-I-D-E. Pride always has I in the middle of it. The title of this message is Messiah Without Joy. How in the world can you have Messiah without joy? P-R-I-D-E. That's how you have Messiah without joy. What's the opposite of a proud person? The opposite of a proud person is a humble person. A humble person yields instead of being stubborn. A humble person obeys instead of disobeying. A humble person complies instead of being contrary. A humble person is willing to be changed instead of being hard-headed. A humble person responds instead of reacting. A humble person takes instruction instead of being unteachable. A humble person maintains an open mind to narrow truth instead of being locked into certain biased ways of thinking that self-serve. The humble person is willing to lose. We don't have nearly enough Christians willing to lose. We don't have nearly enough Christians who are willing to lose their self, control of self, reputation. We don't nearly have enough Christians willing to lose their reputation. We don't nearly have enough Christians willing to lose getting their own way, etc. We if we're humble, are willing to lose. Jesus was. They called him a fatherless slur that starts with B. They stripped him naked, gambled for the little clothing he did own, mocked him that he should call angels to deliver him off the cross. Jesus was willing to lose that he could win. Redemption for us. We need a whole lot more Christians who are willing to lose an argument, who are willing to lose their preferences. 
we need a whole lot more willingness to lose because we need to be a whole lot more humble. And so how about it? If I take a snapshot of your life this morning, you all look very nice, by the way. Snapshot. If I take a snapshot of your life right now as you sit here, are you more proud or humble? I don't mean the videotape surveillance camera of all your days. I mean just as I take a picture now, click, is it going to show me you're more humble or more proud right at this moment? Want to have Messiah without joy? It's easy. Oppose God with pride. Let's see that in 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7. This is the do-nots of the do-nots here. Pride has been surfaced in this passage as being a do-not, and then we're called to a do. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility to ward off one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, and casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. If you write in your Bible, I would underline, clothe yourselves. It's an action you take upon yourself. No one can do it for you. I would also underline, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. It's an action we take upon ourselves. It's a reflexive action. So, want to have Messiah without joy? I hope you don't. You will have Messiah without joy by opposing God with your pride. You will have Messiah without joy by being anxious and depending on yourself and not God. You will have Messiah without joy by doubting God's care for you. You will have Messiah without joy by being a know-it-all. Let me illustrate. In many cases, between the ages of 15 and 25 years of age, folks in that age bracket often think highly of themselves. You can't tell them very much. They push boundaries. They question everything. They are condescending and disrespectful sometimes. They insist on having their own ways. Ah, but something happens like cured maple bacon with time. If they live beyond those years, in many cases, those same individuals attain some years and some more of a measure of a realistic view of their own ignorance and inadequacy and a need on dependence for the Lord and parents and other people. And often then, they will be in a position where they weren't before to take advice. First Peter 5, 5-7, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility to ward off one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Don't want to have Messiah without joy then don't oppose God with your pride. Don't be anxious and depend upon yourself. Don't doubt God's care for you and don't be a know-it-all. Now let's go back to the Jewish people where I'm, I'm almost done. Have they heard the gospel? That's the question of verse 18. And can they understand the gospel? That's the questions of verses 19 and 20. The answer is, yeah, they've heard the gospel. And they can't understand the gospel. Therefore, bottom line, summary, conclusion, therefore, logically, Israel's problem is in her heart and not in her ears or in her mind. So let me be blunt. More people miss heaven due to a hard heart 
than due to plugged ears or due to a dull mind. More people miss heaven due to a hard heart than due to plugged ears or due to a dull mind. Let me give you two cases in point in closing. First case in point, I met Vera in my first pastorate, and this is how the interchange went when I gave her the gospel. Vera, I just believe that God is everywhere. Me, who is Christ? Vera, the Savior. Me, your Savior? Vera, I just believe that God is everywhere. Me, are you born again? Vera, no. Pride. Stubborn. With a sweet voice and smile. Totally unwilling to think in a different biblical way. Disobedient. Contrary to the word. Absolutely unteachable, at least at that moment. Unresponsive. And with all a kind and a loving and a respectful demeanor lost in sin. Politely, she was going to hell. Politely, she was going to hell. Vera did not trust Christ alone for her salvation in that interchange I had with her because God is everywhere. A position of pride, Messiah without joy. Second case in point. Also in my first pastorate in Canada, I met Norman. This is how our conversation went. Norman, I was a Mennonite. I saw that too many rules, what they can do. Lots of people like me walked away. I believe in doing to others what I have them do to me, and that makes me a Christian, whatever else I believe. And to me, if you say you're a Christian and don't do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, then you're not a Christian. I'm a Christian, but not by the textbook. Pride, stubborn, with self-assurance, and with a soft voice. Disobedient and contrary to scripture, even to the extent, the audacity of overriding Jesus' teaching about the necessity of being born again. Hard-headed, unresponsive, rigid in his own way of thinking about salvation, redefining the gospel, lost in sin. Fixating on some Christian's faults, he was charting his own way to hell. Fixating on some Christian's faults, he was charting his own way to hell. Norman did not trust Jesus alone for salvation from his sin that day with me either. Because his recoiling from legalism and hypocrisy, he unilaterally redefined Christianity. Let me say that again. In backing away from legalism and hypocrisy, he, by himself, by his own authority, redefined Christianity. That's arrogance, my friends. Even with a soft voice, that's arrogance. Messiah without joy. Heart problems. Hard heart problems. And at the root of it, neither Vera nor Norman had ear problems. At the root of it, neither Vera nor Norman had mind problems either. At the heart of it, both Vera and Norman had heart problems. So apparently Israel's problem is not limited to Israel. And more people miss heaven due to a hard heart than due to plugged ears or due to a dulled mind. Don't be one of those persons. Romans 10, 
18 to 21 again. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, we pray that none of us would have a hard heart problem. And we pray for people we love that presently do have a hard heart toward Jesus. Melt that heart, Lord. Give us boldness and love to invite these people out next Sunday morning. And may next Sunday morning be a tremendous harvest for heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.